Hey, everybody, it's Lynn. And thanks for listening to one of my very first podcasts I've ever created. If you're hearing this message, that means that, yep, you guessed it. These are one of the first. And I am learning my way around the podcast world. I'm really excited to be going on this adventure and meeting new people, really learning about others, overcoming their own adversity, living life on their own terms, how they hustled or overcame or whatever that is. And it's a little scary to be putting myself out there. And so some mistakes have made. You'll hear some growth as the podcasts go on. I'm not a professional, but I'm learning and I'm really excited to be sharing these initial podcasts with you perfectly imperfect. So I hope you enjoy and I'm wishing you all the best. Ciao for now. Welcome to the Confessions of a Digital Nomad podcast. My name is Lynn Howard, an international speaker, consultant, coach, and you guessed it, digital nomad. And I want you to create a life on your terms. We always have a choice. This podcast is about hustle, perseverance, manifestation, and making it happen on your terms. In the end, how do you want to be remembered? Someone who had a life or someone who truly lived by their own design? We are not our circumstances. Our circumstances are a part of us. So join me as we create a life on our terms. Aloha and welcome to Confessions of a Digital Nomad podcast. This is Lynn Howard and I am tuning in from Bangkok still. And today I'm super excited to have Sophia Olivas on with us. And she is uh, tuning in from Phoenix or Arizona. You're in Tucson right now? I am. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, Sophia is a an author. She's an international speaker, a philanthropist, and really an entrepreneur at the core and all about women, financial sovereignty, and just financial sovereignty, I believe, in its entirety, but definitely with a women focus. So thank you for coming on, Sophia. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me, Lynn. Absolutely. So we had a chance to speak last week and uh, you have such a colorful life and have really persevered and, and overcome a lot of obstacles and designed a life of your own, essentially having a full-blown multi-million dollar business before the age of 25, if I remember correctly, actually a few businesses. Is that correct? Correct. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for bringing me on for this topic. It's something that I'm passionate about. It's something that if anything that I have done breeds um, hope or inspiration into another that they can do it for themselves. I, I'd love to speak about that. So I had a, a less than ideal childhood upbringing. I disagreed with how my father was raising me, thought I could do better. I left at 14 and did way better. And even sleeping on the streets and not having anything to eat was like way better than what was going on at home. And as soon as I, as soon as I could legally, um, which was on my 18th birthday, I started my own company. And at the time, it was in the early 90s. I, I just thought, what can I do from anywhere in the world? Because this, this, this thing about going into 
um, some type of office in a building and being locked in there Monday through Friday and spending the majority of your life and time with this, these people that go, belong in this office, it just didn't appeal to me. And I wanted to also be able to, to see the impact that I was making readily and, and to be able to travel while I was doing it. So I just thought, man, this internet thing, it's, it's going to catch on. And I, I just, um, for, through survival, at the time, taught myself how to code. And I went up and down um, the coast, um, the Pacific coast at the time, and places that I wanted to stay at and visit, like bed and breakfasts, boutique hotels. I would just walk up to the counter. I'd be like, you know, I was trying to book online, but I, I, don't, I can't find you, knowing full well that they didn't have an online presence. And, um, and then that's how I would secure my accounts. So I'd be like, well, I could handle that for you for your best room. And quite a bit of money. So that's, that's how I started it. And then I just expanded it internationally. I would just travel and do the same thing. I would, you know, book with places um, that I wanted to stay that I knew had no internet presence at that time and would, would work around that and barter around that for my food and board. Which is absolutely amazing because, I mean, I graduated in 93, so I'm kind of a product of that era. And yes, being online wasn't like, a thing like it was a luxury it wasn't it was something that people were starting to understand and starting to like dip their toe in in the mid 90s and so really a pioneer a, a young pioneer out there and I love that you said you know partly because you were hungry and you had to feed yourself but out of sheer determination um, yeah. that's really mind-blowing so what what would you say and actually I do want to back up you shared with me when we spoke the last time about a moment in time where it was career day at school. And that was kind of like valedictorian. And could you share that? Cause that story was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So during, I, I don't know if they still do it for people, but when I was going to high school, they had this thing called career day for the seniors where different professionals would come in front of the senior class and say, this is what it takes to become a policeman or a veterinarian. And, and, and so the whole day, different, different, you know, professionals would come in front of you. And I was right in the very front, like front, front. And all day I listened to this talk. And at the very end, they only gave like maybe five minutes for Q&A. And I mean, I instantly raised my hand and I said, okay, let me get this straight. You're telling me that I have to go take out a loan that's going to take me 30 years to pay off to go to school to learn how to make somebody else rich in hopes that when I'm 65, I can still hike Machu Picchu. And as I was waiting for the principal, because that was incredibly disruptive, and I was telling Lynn, when I was retelling her the story, I was like, I still feel very vindicated that that was a very solid question. <laughs> and uh, I was waiting for the principal. And I had very, very high grades at the time. And I had a already had a scholarship and was attending college since I was 16 while I was completing high school. And the, the principal was just kind of looking out of the office and like, why are you here? And I was like, what can I do from anywhere? Like anywhere in this world, like that, that's not like geo tethered. And the principal had no, like no, couldn't give me anything. And that's when I came to the point where I came to the realization where like this internet thing, it, it's going to take off. Well, what I love about this, because hopefully we have a diversity of listening to this podcast. So we have some youngins because I have early 20 year olds, right? And, you know, the old school people, though, they get it. Like, 
that wasn't a thing you did. You grew up, you either went to college or a trade school or you, you worked like you worked for somebody else and like entrepreneurship wasn't as coveted or as, as free, uh, and not free as in financially, but freeing as an individual, as, as attainable as what, or at least we didn't think so at that day and age. And then the internet thing, like, so it's really cool to hear that story for you to say, um, yeah. no, thank you. I'm going to do my own thing and beat to my own drum <laughs> and pave my own path. So, so tell us a little bit about, um, so you started, you, you essentially started up the West coast, but then you've traveled to 30 different countries and, and made a global impact and learned some very valuable lessons along the way. Um, share a little bit of that story and then we'll get into some more tangible details that people can take away. Yeah. It's important to note for your listeners, I had nobody to model after. First of all, back then there weren't really even IT departments. There wasn't any web development classes. Like I just had to figure it out. Like I just had to go to people, ask them questions, be like, how did you create this and and reverse engineer? I had no entrepreneurs in my family at that time. Like I wasn't, everybody was just an employee. So there wasn't anything it wasn't like I was born with this. I was modeling after something. This was all just self-generated. So I really want people to get that you can come from any circumstance and it's all within your power, especially now if you're in a Western civilization that you're listening to, you have access to the internet and, and or a library, you're golden. You can learn anything. You can get a PhD in whatever you want to learn just through that. So to get to your question, um, <laughs> to get to focus. Um, was it more of the international that you were asking about? Well, yeah. What are some lessons that you lived in like such a, a yeah. Yeah, floating globe trotting the world, backpacking um, yeah. and, and creating business as you go? Because uh, you did, like you said before, exactly what you did on the West Coast. You just hunt out, seek out a place that you could go and stay for maybe trade and essentially yeah. sell your services for trade, but you did that internationally in a time where it wasn't as like normal <laughs> as it is now, you know? And it was challenging. Like back then there wasn't like Wi-Fi everywhere. It was dial. It was sat dial up. Sometimes it was a dollar a minute. It was very, very expensive to do web development back then. Um, and it was very slow. So I had to be incredibly fast. Yes, kids. So youngins listening to this, like there was a day (laughs) where internet wasn't instant. (laughs) Yeah, there was no phones. (laughs) Like I had to travel miles to get some type of internet connection to be able to do what I wanted to do. I um, lessons learned. Wow. Well, so one of them for Americans listening, this this is definitely more geared towards my Americans. What I'm about to say because the international people, as they hear what I'm about to say, they're going to be nodding their head like, "Yep, we know." So for Americans, get a passport, get out of your country. And that means outside of North America, like Canada and Mexico, that does not really count. Like get out somewhere where you have to take an extreme amount of hours on a plane and land somewhere where you know nobody, that nope, you don't even know the culture, the monetary system, the food, like go and try to figure out how to survive because that's what you have to do. And when you start to, just in your first country, what you learn innately, that in itself will carry through anything you decide to do in life. Once you see that you have to connect with people just to get your basic necessities, we're talking about lodging and food, just to get that, 
there's something that you get innately that's experiential. It's almost like balance. Like people can tell you how to ride a bike, right? Like I can explain it, but it's not until you experientially get balance for yourself. Do you, there's something that you just get in your bones. That's what traveling abroad in a foreign countries will do for you. So that's, that's definitely a lesson learned that I'm so glad that I got when I was very, very young. And it's also, I've never had a tattoo, but I'm, I'm, I'm told it's very much like tattoos. It's addicting. Every time I come back on a plane from one of my backpacking trips, all I'm thinking about is the next place I want to go to. Like it's instantly in my mind, like, Oh, where do I want to go next? Absolutely. There's so many preaching to the choir places. here. Absolutely. <laughs> so many places it says Lynn when she's from one of my favorite cities in the world in Bangkok. Yeah. Um, so other lessons learned is just um, do what you're passionate about and you'll never work. Like I, my, in my current project, I work seven days a week from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. And it was about three months before I actually stepped out of the house and took like a break. Um, And while I highly don't recommend that, the thing is, is that A, it allowed me to focus on something while the pandemic was, you know, in its fruition. And it allowed me to contribute and work on a project that's contributing to humanity's evolution and getting us through what we're dealing with right now. So the thing is, is it didn't occur as work. Like it, it just went so fast that that period of time when you're in something that you love and the quicker that you can learn that the quicker that, and I think the younger generations, they already, they're already keen to that. It took um, our generations and sometimes even the millennials a little bit more time, um, you know, because we still had it from the boomer generation that you do the whole go to, go to college, get a good job and retire. Like you retire from that same job Um, versus like, you know, what is it that you want to do and how do you express that out in the world? And, and, um, and, you know, how do you have your passion uh, account for your living? Like, you know, boomers have it like responsibility equated to, having the same job, like the stability and having the same job and and retiring in that. First of all, that's not even really an option for those that are getting out now. Um, Companies don't even have retirement. A lot of them don't even have retirement packages outside Mm -hmm. of governmental programs. I mean, they've shifted away from that, from retirement to, you know, self-directed stuff. So you're on your own. They don't provide for you. So education is Um, once you leave school, that is absolutely your responsibility. And it's, it, it's, it's so be an avid reader. Mm -hmm. I mean, every successful person I've ever, ever come in into contact with is a voracious reader. Like they, the amount of reading they consume is just mind blowing. So take a speed reading class, a photo reading class, anything that will help you to learn how to read the materials way quicker so that you um, don't spend as much time. For myself, I incorporate my physical exercise with my reading. So I do, um, I do three miles a day. I walk um, it's way less harder on your joints and it's actually the same amount of exercise, which is way easier in your body than running. And I, on those three miles, I have whatever book is going on in my ear and I've learned to listen to my audios very fast. I can listen to them at two or two times speed 
and it nice. just downloads in my, it just downloads quicker. It's like the chickmunks talking to you all day, right? <laughs> it is. I listen to it on uh, 1.5. I don't think I've gotten to the two, but absolutely. <laughs> and the YouTube videos, same thing. Yes. yes. Yeah. So you can get things a lot faster and though there's challenges with that. So some of the challenges with my lifestyle is that having solo backpacked over 30 countries at this point, like I was sometimes the first American women that a lot of these villages have seen. Um, I, I've gone into these places where, um, you know, they didn't have set lodging for tourists. So like I had to ask people if I could stay in their homes, which mm. to me is like the most beautiful way to travel um, is to just be actually in there. I, I was um, an, an advocate. I am still an advocate at the very beginnings of couch surfing. If you're familiar with that organization, I, yes. I highly recommend even if you're not traveling to start being a host as a couch surfer, uh, a couch surfing host. And um, so, yeah, there, I could, I could talk forever for the most amazing lessons I had in the beginning and that have carried me through. Well, I, I love all these little tips and um, I, I do love the pointer of taking a, I bet you there's an online course of how to learn how to speed read or um, <laughs> yeah, that's all that's, free. Absolutely. All free. That's awesome. So I love that you backpack and you've really experienced and, in, in you know, digital nomad. I, I obviously, I believe in everything that you're saying and immersing in culture and in the, in the people and really just, uh, I mean, eye-opening experiences that have transcended time and circumstances and um, definitely, I would say, financial positions that help you be more full in life. Like, like you said, like living a life of purpose. And you, you actually have written down a life of purpose on purpose, and you really help other people embody that as well through your teachings and financial sovereignty. Can you tell us the root of, or um, it, at least the beginning of the root of why that's so important to you, the women's financial sovereignty? Absolutely. So first, let me just thank you for, you know, reading tidbits of my bio. What I want to do first is create your listeners who I am. So my name is Sophia Olivas and who I am is a powerful, passionate leader and visionary. I speak such that people stop, they listen, they hear possibility for themselves, and then they boldly take action. For me, women's financial sovereignty, and just the word sovereignty, what that means is your given right, your birthright, your, your right from birth to financial success. And it's also your responsibility and your accountability to be financially solvent. And that is um, solvent from free from your parents, society, from your children, and from your partner. There's many parts in the world where women's um, financial sovereignty, their, their solvency is actually tied to one of those things, whether it's that they were born and they're in the caste system, their parents, um, you know, what their children, what they have to do for that, and their partner. So for me, what that looked like is I had an inflection point in my life during one of my travels in around 2011, I had the profound privilege of meeting the Dalai Lama at his temple in uh, India, McLeod Ganj, where he is in exile. And out of that experience, he, um, <laughs> I, I was this young 
younger version of me, brash American woman that just was learning about the plight of Tibet. It was the first time I had really like understood what was going on, the genocide, like the real time genocide that was going on right in front of the world's eyes. And I demanded an audience with the Dalai Lama. I, I am just like, even at this moment, I'm flushed red, like just at my brashness. And as the Dalai Lama came walking towards me, in fact, it was my first spiritual experience where like people that talk about like auras, if you've ever been in the Dalai Lama's presence, there's just this glow about him. And I've never Mm -hmm. experienced, I've heard that, but, and it even seemed like he was gliding. Like I know his feet touched the ground. Like I know that, but it just occurred like with his robe that he was gliding towards me. I don't even remember what he did. He said, I think he touched my forehead with his. And I, I just remember hearing for me to go to the receiving camps so to understand and give a little bit of geography, especially for Americans, the cloud Ganges is in India. It's, it's up in the Himalayas. And on the other side of the Himalayas is Tibet. So when the Tibetans flee from the Chinese, they traverse up and over the Himalayas and they're received into these camps. At that time, being on a mountain, it's not like they had these hospitals or all these supplies. I mean, it was very high up. Um, in the mountains. So when they were received, they they had rudimentary things to take care of the people. A lot of them were being received with gangrene, uh, frostbite, um, bullet holes in their back, which meant that the Chinese were shooting them as they were fleeing. And they, they don't have any weapons. They don't even have a martial art. I mean, they're not outfitted in REI clothes. They they were they just had what they had that they were wearing and would flee. And it would sometimes take up to a month to make the journey. So when I stepped into this receiving camp, I, I am not equipped to be like any type of first responder. That is, that's not my jam. And I was a heaping mess. Like I just witnessing everything that I was seeing. I, I was break. I, I broke down and I was hysterical. And the last thing these people, I mean, they're, they're in their own trauma. The last thing they need is for some American woman to, to just like have this breakdown. And so I got myself out of the receiving camp tent and I thought, oh my God, the Dalai Lama sent me here. The Dalai, like, I mean, he wouldn't send me here. Like, I've got to do something. Like, I, I, you know, like, what can I do? So I turned on my camera, and there was this amazing monk that was from the Dalai Lama's monastery in Tibet. And he had just, you know, witnessed annihilation of his people, extermination of his people and his culture. And he was coming out, and I just turned on the camera and I asked him, what does hope mean to you? And this beautiful, beautiful soul with everything he had just been through and witnessed, he had the most beautiful message. He said that he had so much hope for the Chinese heart that they would remember and reconnect to their heart and they would see what they were doing as well as for the world, like that the world would be willing to open their eyes and see what was going on. And in that moment, I got... I got the space that Tibetans hold for and the Buddhists, the Buddhist monks hold for the world. I also got the lessons of the Dalai Lama, why he could smile through everything, why there's no right or wrong, good or bad or evil. In that moment, what I got was all there ever is in any instance, in any event, be it man-made or human or nature made, all there ever is, is an opportunity for humanity to evolve. 
And I just, from the, from, from being eight years old, I combined that with, I had this burning desire to live a life of purpose on purpose. And you take that inflection point and that burning desire I had, and it was, it was cemented. Like my life was forever forked and I've been working on working on that ever since. Unstoppable. Thank you for sharing that. And that's such beauty. When I do work with people, I often have them dig to, you know, the younger years of the between five and seven years old of some of the roots or five to 12 years old, some of the roots of the fundamentals that where that passion starts to show itself, or you recognize it. And you said that, you know, at eight years old, you had that awakening and then having it really solidified there in 2011. That's just beautiful. Um, thank you for sharing that. So what, before we move on, what would you, in this moment in time, what would you go back and tell that eight-year-old self? If you could give her one piece of advice, what would you, what would you tell her? Oh, those are always great questions. Um, so first of all, I, I want you to know, I, w- I, w- I wouldn't change anything. My childhood has as dark and scary and, and horrendous that it was to me. It, it's the reason why you can drop me anywhere in the world. And within a week, I'll pretty much learn that language and I'll be just fine. I'll be thriving um, in any situation. And that comes from my childhood and, and having to endure what I endured. I, I, would, I would just tell that eight-year-old that, um, that I'm proud of her and mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, that I am just really proud of her. And that um, I'm in awe and waiting for her to stretch and grow. Hmm. Uh, beautiful. I have chicken skin and tears in my eyes. And um, coming from someone who also had a very difficult upbringing, I, I, I understand the beauty in that so much more than maybe some. So I appreciate that for being vulnerable. Let's um, let's fast forward and talk about what uh, what what are some steps or what are some points that you touch with, especially working with women in the financial sovereignty, because mm-hmm. you have accomplished so much, uh, and you know that fire that's burned deep inside of you. Um, I believe you know mine's been there since I was born before I came into this life, but that's just my belief. You know, it's something I chose and, um, you know, it just took moments to unveil itself and for me to understand and put some words around it. But, um, but now what you do and all all that you've accomplished, like, how do you, what are some things that you teach women around or, or some points that you would give to women around the financial sovereignty? And, um, you know, how do you, how do you help empower them? Yeah. So some stats and something, you know, some stats just sort of people to get a kind of a basis. It's, it's been proven and well-documented that when women are given money, the whole community rises. We work in a more collaborative as a species, as a, you know, as a sex, women work in a more collaborative um, methodology, whereas men are taught and bred and work and thrive more in a competitive um, methodology. So it's been proven that when women are financially solvent, they go to school, they, they, they go way further in their education. They have kids later in life. They have less kids. They choose better domestic partners and they take better care of their mental and physical health. So right there, 
you just eradicated poverty, you've alleviated violence, and you've bolstered mental health. Those three areas, any challenge that you can think of in the world fits into those three groups. So if you if you look at that and you look at where the greatest leverage is, it's working at source. And women, in addition to actually creating life, they help shape the life. So they give birth to life and then they are the major caretakers and raising of the children. So they shape the future. So any company that's out there, you should figure a way to incorporate that into your products, your services, and into your workforce. Um, bringing that 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 collaborative spirit that is vital, um, especially if you're receiving challenges and you're stuck. So for for women, it's absolutely essential that your financially your financial literacy aptitude is increased. And that's on you. Go seek out mentors, especially if your places in the States or in Western um, nations where we have free, so much free stuff. Um, there's And there's so many amazing um, examples of leadership. Like there's Sharon Lecter, who's all about uh, women's financial literacy. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on about all the different mm-hmm. women that just like really focus in on that. Uh, Laurel Langmeyer, she always cracks me up. She always starts her her all her stuff with women and saying, a man is not a plan. Yeah. And that's absolutely <laughs> right. You know, at a time, it was that way. Like, it, it was forced yeah. upon us. Not it too long ago. It was in this last century where we couldn't vote. We couldn't even hold land. We had to have a husband to do those things. That's no longer the case. And because that's no longer the case, get your butt in there. Like, it's up to mm-hmm. you to be doing that. You know, it's up to you to um, break through those class ceilings and doors and, 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 and hold men accountable for helping you get through that and, and grab onto those mentors. I was very fortunate that since I was a very young age, I've had mentors all up to this day. I, I've constantly got coaches and, and seek those out. I mean, we have SCORE, which is um, a very, if you're in the U.S., it's a free resource. And it's retired business executives that are just out there to help you shape and develop and and cultivate your dream, your ideation into reality. And that's just one free resource. It's super powerful. Absolutely. Well, I I agree. You know, I, I, we're so, and please listeners take this with a grain of salt and some love and, and, and love around it, but the U S is so entitled and we're so, we, we just have so many resources at the tips of our fingers. And yet we, we don't take advantage and, um, you know, traveling all over the world, not quite as extensively as you, but living in Saudi Arabia for many years, right after nine 11 and experience like true poverty. And I grew up in U S poverty, but in true poverty across the globe, and the resources that people don't have, they don't even have the basic water and food and shelter in, in a lot of places all over the world. So um, I love that you're giving these free tips. Um, what would you say to an international person who maybe these women at this point can't own land, you know, or can't necessarily, um, we hosted a, a, an exchange student from Pakistan and her dad was very liberal in thinking, and obviously, since she was in in the U.S. for an exchange, but the stories yeah. and the things, you know, the circumstances that she's in, and her life is a constant threat. Her dad 
allowed her and wanted her to go to school and become educated. Now she's a doctor, but yet all of these, and we've stayed in touch and to hear her journey and what she's had to go through. Like we, t- we take for granted in the U S so many, so many basic things that people across the globe, women across the globe do not have. So what would you say to someone, a woman in another country who maybe doesn't have the advantages of the U S what, what would you give them as advice of kind of living on their own terms? Absolutely. And what you just said is why it is absolutely vital, pertinent, and necessary for Americans to get out of their own country. So just so they can gain that perspective. I agree 100%. (laughs) For international women, the greatest thing that you have, you have a weapon that right now everybody and a tool that everybody has, you have access to the internet. And I know that because you're listening to this conversation right now. So you have everything at your disposal with the internet, even in places like China, where it's um, locked down and you can't get certain social media sites and whatnot, you still have access to tons of education, um, audiobooks, uh, read, read, pick up and read. There's always ways you can barter books, um, you know, get a book, start a library, um, you know, create a box and start a free library and encourage people to read a book, put it in there and switch. And then, you know, just there's so many things you can do and seek out mentors, go to the elders. They have the knowledge, go to them and, and, and be inquisitive, like absolutely have an unquenching desire for knowledge and wonder about things and have that childlike wonder. You know, why did somebody do this? Who asked somebody that's great, successful people love to share and impart their knowledge. Ask them, who did they have to be? Because you may not want to do what they're doing. That that may not be in your wheelhouse. And you may not be passionate about that. But what you can ask them is, who did they have to be to get there? What did they have to traverse? What things do they have to overcome? I can't remember which of my amazing mentors have said it that I've read, but somebody said that you don't live until you've absolutely hit bottom. Mm. And a lot of us successful people have hit bottom many times. Yeah, I sold my first company when I was 21 and pretty much retired. And I lost everything and went into massive debt in the recession of 2007. And now I'm back on my new thing and I own a hedge fund now. Like it just, that that's just how it goes. And being willing to see failure for what it really is a course correction absolutely beautifully said and and i love how you and and not just for for anybody to it doesn't matter if they are in the direction the mentor in the direction in which you want to go you can still learn from their experiences from their real true their living their life and their experiences um, there's so much power uh, that we forget about, I think sometimes, or that we neglect or don't necessarily pay attention to, and the actual experience. Um, and and I'm I'm you know I'm a big person about learning and reading and and definitely on that side. But you cannot supplement the experiential part and the immersing yourself into that and learning through other people's eyes. I mean, for goodness sakes, that's how how, how, uh, stories, you know, everything was passed down through stories and experiential stories for many, many years until we did get internet and <laughs> things, <laughs> recording devices and, and books. Yeah. 
things of that nature. So uh, thank you so much. So, so what's on your plate right now? What would you love to share with the audience and we can help send them your way, Sophia? Yeah. So right now I'm walking, working on um, renewable energy and blockchain projects that are going to, that are going to be absolutely vital in the coming months as we go through this global recession, this global depression that we're about to hit and the hyperinflation is going to come. So I'm working on that and they'll be released in months to come. So feel free to follow me on that. Right now, I am all about giving to um, all the people that are finding themselves needing to pivot to having to, to um, from where they were to where they want to go now. And that's, that's what we're talking about is a pivot. So I would love to offer anybody a one-on-one free session. Um, Lynn's got all my information about how do you pivot to cash. And so that's one of two people. Either you are a business owner and your business was shut down. It was impacted by uh, COVID and you're needing to pivot. Or you're an employee and the company that you worked for was financially impacted, shut down, or you were let go because of COVID. And you're wondering, what do I do next? So that's what I'm really focusing on as far as giving back. Um, yeah, so I have free webinars on and a free blueprint that I'm offering to all your listeners about how to pivot to cash from right where you are, right with what you have right now. That's so important. And don't forget, audience, that she is an amazing speaker who can move the audience to action. And I believe, uh, you know, the couple of times I've spoken with you, Sophia, really ignite a fire uh, that might have burned out or might have been might be timid right now. But you definitely have lit ignited my fire a little bit more and got me more excited. So I appreciate you being on today. And um, I, I would love for you to end us, you know, with one more piece of advice that you would give to the audience. Yeah, pre-COVID, and I think that that's what the the era is going to be called. Pre-COVID, there was a lot of time for perfectionism. Before you released a product or a service, you had time to refine it, to get your messaging down packed. While we're in the midst of this pandemic and millions of people are unemployed, that's not the case. What, what, what's so now is moving, is acting, is contributing, is becoming the helper. It's always in the, in the moments of depressions and recessions that the entrepreneurs are the ones that, that move the things, that, that create the jobs. So if your company shut down, start another, you know, start yourself. Like it's always, even like as a speaker, for a lot of speakers, our profession, you know, it pretty much shut down in one day, mm-hmm. right? Like, whoop, got turned off. But here's the thing. Create your own stage. Then you create your own job, your own speaking gig. Get a podcast. Get a show. Get a, you know, get your platform. Create your own online summit. Whatever it is, this is a, this global timeout. Listen and be ready and willing to connect to your heart because that's what this opportunity is. And there's a voice that's been in there. You've been, you, I know it's been there. If you've, you've just been not wanting to hear it. You've been pretending not to hear it. You've been smothering it down with, I need to be responsible. I've got a mortgage. I've got kids, whatever that talk is. We've been waiting for you. And this is your opportunity to listen to that and to embrace whatever that gift is and to get it out into the world. 
Oh, thank you, Sophie. Absolutely. So again, this is Lynn Howard with Confessions of a Digital Nomad podcast. We had Sophia on today and it's all about overcoming obstacles and persevering. And now globally, more than ever, we are facing the global pandemic. And uh, I know the U.S. is just not doing a great job right now with everything. And But globally, we're facing this. And it is about how you're picking yourself up and moving forward and listening to that inner voice, Sophia, is so important because it does help you make the right moves uh, for the right reasons that are for you. And I love that you said, um, you know, entrepreneurs are the ones who are going to get us out of this. It's like the phoenix rising, right? Uh, the yes. Ashes. It's, it's the everyday people who turned around the depression and who really helped create that change. And that's what we need now. So be brave, go out there and you got this people. So thank you, Sophia. I appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. Awesome. Well, signing off from Bangkok and I'll chat with you all soon. Aloha. Thanks for tuning into Confessions of a Digital Nomad podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe today so that way you'll get notifications every time a new episode is available. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. And if this podcast moved you or feel it can move someone else, please share it with them today. I'm Lynn Howard, signing off from somewhere in the world. Till next time.